Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 84. Hello, my beautiful friends. It's so wonderful to be back with you again this week on the podcast. And for all of you who are new here, and there are a lot of you who are new here this week, I'm Avanti and I'm so incredibly happy and honored to have you here with me. I have to tell you that I am absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of love that you all have shown me. I'm so incredibly grateful to this community. I've received so much love, an outpouring of love and support since I shared my body's cancer diagnosis on the last episode of this podcast a few weeks ago. You know, the number of messages that I've received through email and Instagram DM and voice messages for this podcast, I am humbled and so incredibly grateful. You know, so many of the messages that I've received have been from so many of you who I've never even met and whom I don't know personally, yet you've taken the time to send me your good wishes and your beautiful healing energy. So thank you for that. You know, when I started this podcast three years ago, I did so because I wanted to be of service to all of you to help you on your healing journeys. Never did I imagine that I would be receiving so much support and so much love from all of you on my healing journey. And so I want you all to know that every single day I am taking in all of your love and integrating it into every cell of my being. Thank you. I also want to thank all of you for your patience as me and my team have been trying to figure out how to navigate everything. I think we're now in a good flow with a rhythm to return to bringing you the podcast every week, which brings me to the new intention for the month of April. Those of you who have been around here for a while know that every month we have a new intention. And for the month of April, the intention is cleanse and release. As you know, in Ayurveda, the transition between seasonal rhythms and nature asks us to also transition in the way that we live, eat, work, play, to adjust our daily rhythms, to synchronize with the rhythms of nature. And the transition from winter to spring is a time of release and renewal. So this month, we'll be exploring how we can cleanse and release all that we don't need so that we can be in more alignment, body, mind, and soul, and thereby support our health. And as you might imagine, I've really been thinking a lot about alignment these days, of living a purpose-driven life, and what I need to release to do that more. And so my conversation with my guest today, Raina Kumra, couldn't have come at a better time or honestly with a better person to talk about this. Raina is the founder of Spicewell, a functional foods company that she started in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic, taking her background in venture capital, policy, and her family's health crisis to start a brand that is literally 
spicing up and shaking up the food and beverage industry. She's also an advisor to Google X, a partner at the Fund LA, and the CEO of Juggernaut, a digital and organizational transformation bureau. She's also served on the Biden-Harris transition team, overseeing U.S. global media's tech strategy, and has also served in the Obama administration as co-director of innovation at the BBG and with the U.S. Department of State. Rina is also a member of the Ad Council's Issue Advisory Board and a mentor at Techstars LA. Prior to that, Rina led Digital at Wyden and Kennedy, New York, and spent over a decade in advertising at BBH and RGA. Rina holds degrees from Boston University, NYU's ITP, and the Harvard Graduate School of Design. In our conversation, Rina shares her incredible journey and how purpose drives her. We discuss the power of focusing on small incremental changes to create impact and change. And you'll hear both of us have a lot of aha moments as we dive into the concept of the four purusharthas of dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. You know, Raina and I met last year over DM on Instagram when I messaged her because I loved her Spicewell products. And since then, we've become soul sisters, both of us on a mission to bring Ayurveda, the healing system of our ancestors, to empower more people to take back their health. I am so, so happy to share with you my conversation with Raina Kumra about living a life of purpose and releasing that which is not in alignment to create more health and more healing. Well, hello, Ryan. I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. Thank you for doing this with me today. Oh, hi, Avanti. I cannot believe that I am getting to do this with you, um, especially with everything that you have going on in your life. I am honored to be here. Oh, well, thank you. I know we were supposed to do this back a month ago when my whole cancer journey was just starting and we had to reschedule this. Yeah. So I'm so happy that we get to do this. And it's really interesting because the topic that we were going to talk about is actually so incredibly relevant right now for me personally. And I'm so excited to talk to you of all people, which is this idea of of purpose and our health. And that was actually the topic we were going to talk about a month ago before this all started. And so Let's just jump in. You know, the reason I wanted to talk to you right now about this is, you know, you have had such an incredibly interesting journey. I have to tell you, when I first met you, I mean, I met you over Instagram, through my sister, through some common people, (laughs) and then we connected and we're in a collective together of South Asian sisters who are all helping each other in this wellness world. And I remember you sharing your journey and I just, I I was blown away because you have such a depth and breadth of experiences. And I don't even think we could even cover them if we wanted to in an hour talk. It would take like three or four hours, but you know, you've held so many roles in leadership, in companies, startups, government. I mean, you were part of the Obama administration, the Biden transition team. Like I was like, I'm looking at you. I'm like, I know that you're younger than me. But I'm like, how old is this woman? How has she done all these things in such a short <laughs> time? But, you know, I really want to know. I mean, it's so impressive. What I kept thinking about is, you know, what drives you? Because that's a lot of stuff to do. And you've done it 
It's yeah. not like you've just hopped around from things to things. You've done it in such a complete, beautiful way of bringing people to a certain point and then, okay, I, I'm going to move to the next thing. It's like, what drives you? Where does this drive come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's so, in well, it comes from being a first generation immigrant kid, which I'm sure. sure you can identify with. Because when I look at you and I look at everything you've done, I stand in awe. So it's also just so interesting to kind of hear it from the observation side and say like, oh, okay, that's how this hits. And like, you know, I didn't go to medical school. Like I didn't do, I haven't healed people. I haven't done really anything, you know, that actually is life or death. I used to joke when I was in advertising that, you know, people were so stressed out running around like, oh my gosh, the pitch is in an hour. And I was like, guys, this is not an ER. Like this is not <laughs> life or death. I know it feels like that. So like everything I've done is, is not life or death. Right. So I think just having that perspective of, of like, yes, there are a lot of things I've done and I've tried to accomplish and I have accomplished, but um, it's, to me, it's not as important as the things that you have done. So I think there is, a, <laughs> well, there's, there's okay. a mutual fangirling here for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to reflect back to you that, you know, that is, you know, medicine is one thing and yes, it's a, it's a wonderful profession, but there are so many things that, I mean, everybody contributes in such incredible yeah. ways in the world and what you have done, the way that you have, you know, contributed in all of these different roles. Again, I mean, you've been in, you know, Fortune 500 companies, startups, government. I mean, it's like the whole gamut. It's not like you've been in one lane of like, okay, I'm all in government or all startups. It's been like across the board. And there's got to be something that drives you beyond just that South Asian immigrant mentality. Sure. What drives you to do so many different things? Because it could be really easy for you to just stay in one lane and have a great career. And it's easy, right? It's not easy. Not easy, us, but you know what I mean. Really like not easy. Yeah. I mean, yes, I always think about the path not taken. If I had just stayed as a video editor, and I had just stayed in film and I had just done, or if I had just stayed in advertising, you know, I'd probably be getting paid lots to do very little and probably should have done that because now I'm working very hard. <laughs> um, you know, if I had just stayed in as a VC or if I had just stayed in tech startups, I don't know, there's a million lives that I could have had. But I think it started when I was a little girl and I just didn't want to do one thing. I knew I could do lots of things. And so like somehow internally, I knew that I was like, in a way I was like ready to live in the multiverse immediately <laughs> by trying to do many things in my life and move as fast as possible. So I don't know exactly why I'm wired that way, but I love it. And I love trying to make the biggest dent I possibly can in whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. And when that dent is made, when I feel like I've carved a path that didn't exist before, then I want to move on to the next thing. And so I think there's something with starting something and then making sure that you've made a change, you've made a difference in the world. And that's what drives me. And I think that's something that we share in common definitely want to see the impact of change. We want to see how one little ripple that didn't exist before, you know, like your podcast episode that you put out last week was a massive ripple. That was a major emotional pull. I mean, I'm still like, I will get teary <laughs> thinking about it. Um, 
And I think there's just something so addictive and something so lovely about being a human and doing something in the world and and seeing that effect and seeing that impact on other people. And I think that's really what I wanted. And of course, a positive impact in every case. So that was my journey with government. That was my journey with advertising. That was my journey with tech and now, you know, with food. Right. And so let's jump into that because your newest venture, which is Spicewell, it's an incredible company. I came upon it on Instagram and was telling my sister about it. She's like, oh, I know Rhina. And I was like, of course you do. And then, you know, the pieces came together and I know this person, she knows this person. Like, I mean, it was like, oh, and that's how we're connected. And, you know, the next thing I know, we're messaging each other and then emailing each other and then talking on the phone. And and we still haven't met in person. I know we haven't <laughs> met in person yet, but we have built this beautiful friendship. Yeah. So tell us about your newest venture. Like, what was the reason to start your own thing? You've had this amazing career doing all these things, and then you decided to jump into consumer packaged goods, which is it was a total left turn. I mean, it is a total left turn. It is a very difficult world to be in, and that too in the wellness category. And you're creating a new category. So tell us about Spicewell and why and how this happened and yeah, all the things. I think after, so mid-pandemic, and so the Spicewell story is really about care and it's really about healing. And it came out of needing to do both of those things for my family. But prior to that, I was in a little bit of a career midlife crisis. I had done a lot of things in the digital world and I had this craving, and I think this happens to a lot of people who work in tech, to just do something physical, to just do something with my hands. And I needed it. I know my brain needed it somehow. And, and that was, to me, like a form of medicine. So that's why, you know, cooking or just knitting or anything was the antithesis of sitting at a keyboard and typing and moving bits and pixels around. Um, and so I had this inkling of wanting to do something more physical. And then my husband had knee surgery. And the next morning, my daughter broke her collarbone. So I had two laid up patients in the house, mid pandemic, no help. And and then, you know, my, my eight-year-old son at the time too was, it was in the same bike accident as my daughter, but he was fine, just banged up. So there was just a lot of caretaking that all of a sudden became my full-time job, all of the meals, all of the snacks, all of the hydration, all of the bathroom assists, all of the sponge baths. I mean, caretaking is probably the field in the U.S. that is the least regarded and the most needed and is the hardest job harder than anything. And so I put myself in it. I went full in and I was like, I have to heal these people as fast as possible because I cannot sustain this level of care by myself. This is weight plus working full time. So I took uh, all of the vegetables from my garden. I dehydrated as many of them as I could. I went back to Ayurvedic recipes that I know my mom and grandma had, had kind of put together for me when I had a tummy ache or I had, you know, a bruise or any of those. I made poultices, like everything that needed to be done was in my power to do. And it was in my spice drawer. Nobody in my house used any painkillers, not my five-year-old and not my husband. And we were able to get them healed very fast, very well, and without any over-the-counter drugs. Amazing. Amazing. Like, I love that because it's, 
it's <laughs> everything that we talk about in this podcast is going back to Ayurveda and these ancient yeah. healing systems of medicine. And so that's what you did. It's it's incredible. And so then how did you go? How did that lead to Spicewell? Well, so, you know, back to the Ayurveda, though, I did not know what I was doing. I had some vague memories of, you know, things that my grandma had done, my mom had done. There's no recipes, as you know, no one writes anything down. And there's also like, no real verbal <laughs> recipe either. So I think there was some very like ancestral DNA kind of mitochondrial information that was coming up from somewhere. I have no idea. So I felt very much like I didn't know what my hands were doing. A lot of the times it was coming through me. It was coming from somewhere, these weird wow. combinations. <laughs> I have chills just thinking about what you're saying right now that, that you didn't even know, like it was coming through you. Yeah, it was. And I haven't really shared that story because it sounds super woo woo and wacky, but like that was what happened. Like I didn't invent Spicewell. It invented in my kitchen through some other higher power. I don't know. But it was one of those moments where like I knew that it was something that I needed to do. And I knew it was a gift that was being given to me. And the whole way that it unfurled from, you know, taking care of my family, getting them better, and then coming back to my kitchen, putting on my policy hat and saying, okay, there's 92% of Americans with a nutrient deficiency. How do we solve that problem if I'm going to solve a problem at scale? And then putting on my consumer behavior hat and saying, no, Americans read, really. I mean, it's true. And behavior change is really, really hard and maybe ultimately a myth. So what can we do to bridge those issues and look down at my salt and pepper? And I was like, this has not been innovated in a hundred years let's start here. This is something everyone uses. No habit change required. Just swap it out with something better. And then that's sort of how it how it began. My God. So, so many questions. I mean, it's literally like everything you had done until then was preparing you for that moment. Because you being able to have, first of all, the South Asian roots that Ayurveda acknowledge in your DNA, as you said, Probably. right? Coming through you. <laughs> And then having all of these experiences of a policy perspective, the food perspective, you know, the consumer behavior perspective, like all of the worlds that you had worked in all of a sudden came together and you were able to say, how can I solve this problem? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But so you go back to the, the backpack, right? So every experience that you ever have leads you to the next and then you're able, you have more tools to use and make it better. So as I get older and older, it gets easier and easier to make that dent, to like really make that impact. Right. Because you have the tools. So you literally created this during the pandemic. So like what month? I feel like March. Yeah. March or April. Okay. And then you had it on the shelves a year later, within a year? Six months later. Six months okay. later, we Holy sh Like I want to like, oh my God, how, <laughs> how does that happen? Because I mean, I know a little bit about this world. It takes forever for stuff to get put out. Yeah. How did you do but that? That's, that's what I mean about the sort of divine <laughs> intervention, right? I was like, Okay, you know, I had 16 initial formulations. I got it down to three. I did a lot of testing. I mean, it was it was a significant amount of testing and work, but it was not, it never felt like work. It always was just so like, okay, I'm gonna do this and then this and then and then this happens and this happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
like I got my manufacturer, everything was just very easily kind of glued together. And I don't remember ever hitting a wall. I don't, everything just very smoothly unfurled. And it was one of those moments in life where if you have seen it before, pattern recognition tells you like, okay, this is a big moment. This is something I need to support. This I need to get out of my own way. I need to get out of the way of the idea and I need to like let it live. <laughs> because I have a million ideas that I haven't, you know, activated. I haven't like executed. And then I see it happen, you know, two years later and I was like, oh, I should have done that. But this was one of those moments where I like fully seized it. Wow. And it was completely out of a need in your family, which is such a beautiful story. And then it's, it's almost like one thing just led to the next. It's like divine, divine intervention, alignment, right? Something, there was something pushing this into reality and it was not just me. <laughs> yeah, no, believe that a hundred percent. I totally understand what you're saying. So, so tell us a little bit about what the products are. I mean, there's, there's a salt and a pepper and I'll tell you for all the listeners, you guys, there'll be some links in the show notes. This is an incredible product. That is not why we're doing this podcast episode. I want you guys to know, but I will tell you, this is a product that I love. I reached out to Raina over Instagram because I ordered her product because it was an Ayurvedic product. I always like to try Ayurvedic products. And I saw it on Instagram. Of course, it you know was served to me <laughs> and I ordered the product and I fell in love with it. And so I messaged her to tell her how amazing these products were. And that is how our connection began. Yeah, you were one of my first, one of my first customers. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was so obsessed. I was so interested in the product and, and her story and everything. So I just want you guys to know that I love this product. But tell us about like, how did you figure out a formulation? Because there's a lot of stuff in each of those and they taste amazing. Yeah. But how did you, how did you figure out what to do? do. I mean, you said it came through you, but yeah, it's again, like, cause I'm formulating again right now. And we are so stuck. Like it's really hard. The tandoori is like a disaster. We are like over and over, you know, back and forth. So that one is not flowing, but for the salt and pepper for my original products, I, I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted it to have, I wanted it to be clean because so much, so many spices are full of toxic heavy metals, as you know, so I made sure that all my ingredients were double lab tested. And then I started messing around with different flavor profiles. I knew I wanted the salt to be 30% lower in sodium. And I knew I wanted 10% of daily vitamins. I initially had it at 50% of daily vitamins. And I was like, oh, I think people might use this instead of taking vitamins, which I don't want. I don't want you taking two teaspoons of salt every day. That's not, not advised <laughs> for your vitamins. So I dropped it down to 10% to something more incremental that you would use every day and it would build up in your system. And I knew I wanted everything from organic vegetables. And I also knew that like for the pepper turmeric combination, like I wanted it to be an ancient Ayurvedic tried, tested, clinically studied, bioavailable formula. And that's why that combo exists. Same with the salt and ashwagandha. The salt really helps aid the delivery of the vitamins and the minerals and the ashwagandha. So everything just kind of balanced out. And then it was just about getting the flavor right. So there was some level of tweaking, but the pepper turmeric is like, they make each other sing. Like the, they are as such a combo of like, 
aliveness. And even though this pepper has been ground now like a year ago, it is still like when you open the packet, it's still so fresh and alive because they're activated. So I just kept stumbling upon like little discoveries like that. And then I added them to the product. And then I kind of, you know, I was very clear. I think I was very clear from the beginning of exactly what I wanted it to do, the function of it and why I wanted it to exist in the world and why it needed to exist. And, and that was, you know, that's my contribution. <laughs> wow. It's incredible. And just, you know, cause I know there's like kale and is there broccoli? I mean, I can't even remember yeah, all the kale, There's broccoli, there's pumpkin, sweet potato, sunflower seed, cranberry, chlorella, maitake mushroom, shiitake mushroom. Oh it's a, it's a good mix. It's a good yeah. mix. And you don't actually, you don't taste any of those. It tastes like salt yeah. or pepper. Pepper has a little bit of a golden color because of the turmeric. But other than that, you know, you don't taste any of those vitamins and minerals. It tastes like salt and pepper, but it's incredible when you look at the list of ingredients, you're like, how is all that in this? It's, it's in there. So, <laughs> I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so, you know, I really want to get into this idea of purpose and our health, you know, because what I'm sort of, what's coming up for me as you're talking about how you discovered this need for this product because of a family need. And then you started tinkering. It, it feels like so purposeful, you know? And so, you know, we have a shared cultural background. We're both South Asian. And, you know, in our culture, there's this concept of the four purusharthas, and which is like basically the inherent values of the universe, which really what purushartha means is purpose of the self. And the four purusharthas are dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. And basically, the idea is that with the support of artha, which is security, financial security and other security, and kama, which is pleasure, which is all types of pleasure, not just, you know, it's, it's love, beauty, art, everything, that we can fulfill our dharma, which is the third purusharta, which is our purpose in life and then move towards moksha, which is liberation and self-realization of the true self, right? And so you've had so many different purposes and all these different roles that you've had, but what do you think is your dharma? My dharma, yeah. I think a lot of the sort of hopping from industry to industry is to put a name onto my dharma. And I don't know, and I don't know if I will know, like I'm 45. When my dad was 45, he told me, I just figured out what I wanted to do with my life. And if it takes you this long or longer, that's totally fine. As long as you do something in between, <laughs> well, between the out. And I think my dharma has been to build movements, to start fires, to change perspective, to tell a story, to shift a point of view and to bring people along on something that didn't exist before to them, maybe, but I saw. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are a little bit psychic. I've talked about this before. Like There's just that little bit of seeing a world or a vision for a world that doesn't exist present day, but could exist. And it's running after that because you have that clarity. Um, so when I have that clarity, then I know I have to do it. That's when I know I have to take that leap and leave 
advertising for government or leave government for tech or, you know, and I think my moksha is like my mom's greatest hobby, achieving moksha. And uh, she's a spiritual teacher. So that maps really well. Uh, but, you know, I always joke with her and call it spiritual retirement. <laughs> and she doesn't have to do anything anymore afterwards. But for me, I love doing, I love building, I love making things, I love making things happen. So there is something in there that is my dharma, but I don't have a clear word for it, right? I don't belong in one single dharma box. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, and that's beautiful. I love that perspective. And so, okay, so I have a question for you because you said you feel like part of your dharma, if you described it as starting things, you know, starting fires or making changes or helping people see that. So tell me about one of those, you know, sort of instances from one of your previous roles where you felt like that, you know, what was the purpose? And then how did you know when it was time to go to the next thing? Because I know for a lot of people who are listening, they're probably like, okay, because I think that this is something that's very common for a lot of us is like, what is my dharma? It can change in the sense of how you get there and it can be revealed to you, right? Yes. Yes. And yes. so many people struggle with, well, how do I find my purpose in life? Right. So tell us about a little bit about, you know, something that you, one of your roles and what you feel like your purpose was there and how you knew to go to the next thing. Yeah. Great question. And then just a comment on Dharma, like, you know, you're in the right Dharma, like you're doing the, your right Dharma or that Dharma is right for you when everything flows together. Right. I think there is some relationship between the flow state and the work that you're doing. And if it's the right work for you, you will continue to do it and, and it will happen very, very easily. Very similar to how Spicewell came to be. Um, so I would say I would qualify that as a dharmic moment. The last time that was when I was working as an investor, an impact investor, and I was handed this portfolio around technology ethics. And I was told to, you know, help figure out a movement around technology ethics because that didn't exist 10 years ago, seven years ago. It was in Silicon Valley, very rampant to just build products, release products and give no thought to how they impact society, to how they can have negative consequences on children or edge cases or, you know, older people. And it was never a part of like, you know, it was the day of school that everybody missed in Silicon Valley. So my job was to figure out what was the missing component, where were the gaps, and then find a really simple way to build this movement. And I decided to do a ton of research. And then I came back from all these interviews with investors, with CEOs of top tech companies. And when I bring up the word ethics, they would feel instantly judged. And then they would also be like, well, we just need to hire like a, you know, an ethicist. And it would always be like, that would be the, the norm answer that I would get. And I was like, this is a real, there is zero personal accountability in these companies. It's not being modeled by the CEO. Everyone wants to outsource ethics and their moral compass to an expert. And they feel like it has to be sort of philosophy student, but that's not how ethics works. You don't actually have to have a philosophy degree to understand ethics, mm -hmm. um, I should hope. And so I decided to do something very low lift, kind of looking at the cognitive load of everyone 
and everything that they were working on. And I just released a framework and it was called the Ethical OS. It was a one page document initially, and it was actually just a graphic that showed eight potential risk areas of which you could test your technology against before you released it to the world and at least begin the conversation. And that conversation was begun. And that little framework has been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. It has been taught in universities all over the world. It turned into a LinkedIn course that is also being utilized by like management consulting companies and insurance companies. <laughs> I see who's I see who's taking it. And it's just like kind of an incredible thing. But my instinct on that and sort of like my dharma on that was to do something small and simple and incremental and turn into something bigger on its own, not come in and say, oh, we're going to do like a very heavy course and a marketing campaign on like ethics. We're going to do billboard. Like it was not any of those things. It was just doing one small shift. Wow. So what's coming up for me, and and that's actually something you said about Spicewell, is just let me start with something that's so obvious, salt and pepper, and make a small shift. And so this is like gold that I'm hearing because I'm taking it in as a lesson because small incremental is important. And I think we live in such a fast world where everyone blows everything out of proportion. You can have your highlight reels on social and and on, in, you know, on the web and like all the best stuff and all the highlights, right? That makes everything seem so big and grand. And we forget about the small things, the small things yeah. that can make such a shift. And I always say this to my students and my patients and clients that, you know, make one small change in your health that can have profound effects for your health. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is that one thing. And it's really kind of building off what you said. It's really interesting how in American society, and maybe mm-hmm. it's different in other places, there is zero value for incremental change. We do not value tiny shifts and change. We only value big, like, okay, you know, instead of making a small shift that is sustainable throughout your life, you're going to go on a three-day detox or a five-day fast. Like that, you have to, like, it has to be extreme, but that doesn't help you. Right. Well, if you can't stick to it and if it's not, if you're not prepared for it, right? That I totally agree with you. I think that it's useless, right? If you don't, if you're not doing all the small things and if you go and do something like that, and then go back to bad habits, it hasn't helped you, right? So, but this idea of, you know, applying this, so this is so interesting because this is supposed to be about, you know, dharma and how purpose and our dharma affects our health. But you're bringing up right now is such an interesting idea is that it's actually, we can apply this idea of small incremental from maybe habit change and health, the things that I teach, into finding your purpose, into doing the things that you're doing every day and, and that being sort of informing how you look at what you're doing in the world. I don't know. That, that's profound for me, what you just said. Yeah. No, completely. Everything can start with one tiny, small thing. You don't have to start big if you're trying to figure out, like test which dharma, you know, try on the new coat of like, doing something or changing, changing how you're living or changing what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's it's just incredible to think about that. And so my my guess is is that this is something that you've done multiple times because if it's something that you did, you know, in this instance that you just shared with us, right? Mm-hmm. And then also in Spicewell, like give us another example of something. I'm curious because I think it's very helpful to hear about other people's stories. There's so much to learn and take away and then apply to your own life. This is great. I mean, I was not expecting to have a life coaching <laughs> class right now, but I'm loving it. Like, oh my gosh, you're helping me figure out all of this. <laughs> Letting me put a theme on everything. Let's see. Was there another time? Yeah, I think I think that I did do this several times while I was working in the Obama administration. There was always like small changes that needed to happen in order to allow greater change to to happen. There was a ton of zero to one that needed to happen. So, and I, and I had the best time running around doing it because it was all within my skill set to, you know, take them out of windows 95 and bring them to present day. (laughs) And I think you know, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of incremental, small change work, like even just changing a graphic or changing a website or changing the way we were presenting information, uh, being more fluid about how we did our convenings. I think all of those little changes did did map to something bigger. Uh, but, you know, I didn't stick around in the government for multiple terms to right, see that right, but- Another thing I want to click into that you just said that's gold is this idea of zero to one or one to two or five to six or whatever it is. You know, we are so, again, programmed in this Western culture to go from zero to 100. And if you don't go from zero to 100, then you haven't accomplished anything. And it's just not true. It's just not we true. like that. That is, yeah, that's not sustainable. It, you can't go to zero from, from zero to 100 every day. You can do zero to one or one to two or five to six. And I love that. I love what you just said. You can always do a little bit in a day. Yeah, exactly. And that I think is so true for every aspect of our life, you know? So whether it's, you know, figuring out what you're doing in your career, whether it's your relationships, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about, you know, in Ayurveda, there's these five areas of life that, you know, all of life informs your health, you know, your diet, your environment your lifestyle and routines, things that you do every day, your relationships, right? All of these things influence your health. And it's looking at each of those areas and thinking about what can I do that's a small incremental thing, zero to one, five to six, whatever it is, to slowly improve or move that, you know, move the dial just a little bit so that I can feel a little bit better or I can do a little better or I can love a little better. Yeah, one one minute of meditation, one, like all of that. I do hear people talking about breathing a lot more than we ever have. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how many people are just taking that one breath. Mm-hmm. Right. Just slowing down and taking a couple of breaths. Exactly. And so how do you think that purpose affects health? Oh, gosh. I think when you're not in the right dharma, right? When you're not doing the thing that is you were meant to do, I think that can impact your health. And when you're at cross purposes with the role you've been given and the dharma that you should have had, that can affect health too. So I think it's it's not that everyone should change their careers and all that, but it's finding alignment within. And then, you know, when I did work in corporations, 
being able to be a little bit of an entrepreneur to shift what was happening in my day to day to make sure that I aligned more with what I needed. So I guess if your purpose is feeding you, that's healthy. But if your dharma, if your you know, if your daily work is not like you can absolutely feel it, you will feel it because it is the thing we spend the most time on in our waking lives. Sadly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And I think I think that the way you put that is really great is that if it's feeding you, you'll you'll feel well. And if it's not, then it's sort of this idea of alignment, right? Yeah. And I think it's important what you said also that it's not just that, oh, well, you know, if you're getting really sick, then you should blow up your life and do a different career. That's not the point of this. But I think again, it's it's having the awareness that if you are constantly getting sick, if you're having lots of symptoms. Take a look at what you're doing in your life, in every aspect of your life, including your livelihood, your career, your purpose, your roles, responsibilities, whatever it is for you, right? Whether you're working outside of the home or not, take a look at that because that can be part of your purpose. And is that, like you said, feeding you or not feeding you? Is it contributing positively or negatively to your health? And then it's about making changes. Sometimes it's, yes, leaving and going to do something else. But sometimes it's just maybe even shifting your perspective in this beautiful way that you just told us about of the small incremental change that you can make. So if you take that pressure off of yourself, like you know what you're working a a big corporate job and you feel like you have to go from zero to one hundred every day, you're going to get sick at some point because it's not sustainable. No, right? It's not. It's not. And we're not ever taught to be super kind to ourselves in a corporate environment. I think a lot of that has changed. And I do just honestly feel like nobody wants to work the way that we used to, right? And it's not just this generation, it's generations behind us. And without like veering off on the topic, like the world has changed. So we too have to change. We have to change our approach and we have to make sure that what we're doing is feeding us, is giving us what we need, is is giving every cell a little bit of that golden light that you talked about. Uh, Because without that, what are we even doing? Right, right. And so I think it does absolutely, you know, it's so important to really look at it and look at often, even if you're, you know, happy in what you're doing. I know that that's happening for me right now. I love what I do. And I've also been handed this diagnosis and I really have to take a look at every aspect of my life and reconsider, is it in alignment? You know, even the work that I love that I'm doing, I have had to sit with it for the past six weeks of what is in alignment and what is not, because I'm sure that there's something within this is that's probably not feeding my cells well, right? What do you, yeah, what what have you stumbled upon that it might be? I I think it's probably the pace that I was going at and, and doing so many different things at the same time and also being a perfectionist. You know, I've really in the last six, six weeks really had to let go of always having these crazy deadlines for myself and just being like, I couldn't release a podcast episode. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> right? Why do you have this internal whip cracker? I do not know. It's so hardcore and so hard on us. I mean, we are built like Mack trucks for stress. 
and for just piling it on and piling it on and never stopping. We keep rolling with those 18 wheels and we just like, oh, like, yeah, just put some more on, put some more on. Uh, but this isn't the point, right? And I think doing less and feeling better is the right. point. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it goes back to what I shared about the four Purusharthas, right? Because mm-hmm. it's four things, right? It's, you know, Artha, which is your security, but it's also Kama, which is pleasure. So many of us forego pleasure, right? The little things, the big things, because we're so worried about always, you know, about worried about the Artha, about the security or the Dharma, you know, what's my purpose and how am I going to do this, that, and the other, Mm -hmm. but they all have to be in alignment. They all have to work together. Yes. Yeah. And we don't, we don't, we've, yeah, we've come off to date night and, you know, once in a while, hang out with friends. It's never, ever a daily practice for me either. I'm just too busy. Um, but that's how, that's how we get out of balance. And all of those gurus in the forest, when they were coming up with these mm-hmm. writings, were not doing as much as we were doing, nor were they ever planning to. So. Right, right. But somehow it still applies. They they knew what to write, you know, thousands of years ago that would apply to us in this modern life. And so I think that it's just so, it's so instructive to really think about it that, you know, when I was rereading this and sort of preparing for this episode, and I was reading about the, the Purusharthas, I was like, oh, yeah, we get so focused on Dharma and Artha. And, yeah. you know, Moksha is like, oh, the enlightenment. Okay, well, that'll happen whenever it happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the piece about Kama, I really, that pleasure, that that really struck me. And I'm like, it's really, really important. It's it's such an integral part of our lives. And so- I love that you brought that yeah. yeah. You know, I think that it's so important. Okay, so we could keep talking and I know we will, <laughs> oh, we <laughs> but will. we're almost oh, we. at time and I want to respect your time. And so let me ask you this, Raina, as you look to the future, what do you see for yourself? I see more balance. I see a life that has more trauma. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. You've like really planted a a seed that is quickly growing into a seedling because (laughs) for the longest time, especially when you're a a founder and everything is on you, there is, you know, you, the joke is you stop working nine to five so you can work 24 seven, which you know, well, um, Mm -hmm. and I, yeah, it's, it's unsustainable. It is so hard to take so many things on and to take and to do everything. You wake up every morning on a Monday and you're a hundred hours behind You're walking around, like you have hundreds of pounds of bricks on your back and your shoulders. Um, but I am really fighting back on that. I do not want to live like this. I don't want to run a company like this. And Again, it's not life or death. I think it comes back to that. Is it life or death? Are we in an ER? Do I really need to do this? Is somebody going to die if I don't do this? And that's the question (laughs) that actually brings me back to, oh, no, nothing is going to happen. It's okay. So, and same for you. And I wish you so much calm coming for everything that you have to go through. And I, we're all thinking about you. We adore you. You're just, your voice is just so, it's so important and it definitely needs to be heard, not just in the podcast, but we need you. Just want to tell you that we're thinking about you all of the time as you go through this next cycle, 
Also, I cannot believe you're recording a podcast. I love it. I love it. <laughs> as long as you derive the pleasure from it, I yeah. think then absolutely. I get it. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. But you yeah. are, you are really incredible for everything you're doing and everything you're going through and all of the knowledge that you're sharing and all of the stories. So just in awe of you, so in awe of you and so happy to have had the chance to chat. And, you know, I just see for both of us a life more in balance and more pleasure because again, what are we doing if all we're doing is working? Exactly. I agree. I agree. And so this feels like a really good place for us to sort of round out our time together. And so I have one last question for you. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Um, To catalyze healing for me is actually taking that time for yourself and doing that one pleasurable thing. I had this wonderful practice for all through my 20s and 30s. Also, before I had kids, yes, um, I had this practice of taking five minutes, one hour the day to just do something really nice for myself. Mm-hmm. And I've lost that. Mm-hmm. So catalyzing healing really does. It, pleasure has a huge role to play in it. Raina, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, Avanti. So good to be with you, too. Thank you for doing this with me. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.